think I'm doing those eyes. <laughs> I think I'm in love. It was terrifying. The pain, the, the fear of being eaten. I was drowning at the same time. I just accepted that I was going to die. Was there a bit of fandom for you when it came on? Oh, huge. And I did not try to hide. <laughs> did not try to hide at all. Out of the Box with Serge Negus on FBI. Massive thanks to Amy Mulholland for the last few hours of incredible Sydney music and culture news. If you missed anything she played, you can head to fbiradio.com to catch up on mornings or any other program here at the station. Now, have you spent any time in an emergency room at a hospital? It's not the kind of place that the majority of us would ever want to spend much time, but unfortunately, it's the reality of life that we will at some point spend a little bit of time in ER. But there are some people who dedicate their lives to the emergency room and to saving the lives of complete strangers every day. People who we actually don't get to hear from very often. Today on Out of the Box, I'm joined by a member of Medicine Sans Frontières. He's also an emergency room doctor in Canada and an award-winning teacher and author. He's here for the Sydney Writers Festival and his name's James Miskalik. James, thanks for coming on the show. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks a lot for having me. No worries. Now, look at emergency rooms. Like I said, they're the kind of place that really people don't want to end up, but they are a reality of life. But for someone like yourself, what actually drew you into the emergency room as a career? Well, at an early stage in medical school, you're asked what kind of doctor you want to be when you grow up. And, you know, you really haven't even grown up as a, as a human being. You're still in your early 20s, or I was anyway. And to imagine what I would want to do when I'm in my 40s or my 50s or my 60s was beyond my capacity. However, I had a formative experience during medical school where I traveled kind of for my first time. And you know how those experiences are. You open up your mind to a completely new world. And, and at the same time, I was doing medicine and I was being taught the ethics of it. And the ethics of medicine is, you know, if you're on a plane in the middle of the ocean and someone says, is there a doctor on board? You put your hand up. It doesn't matter the time or the day or where you are. You take care of the sick ones. And when I went to Santiago, Chile and worked in the public health system, mostly just to impress this girl who I was wanting to date. <laughs> mostly that's true. Um, I, I saw how sick people were in the public system there. And I thought, if my job is to take care of the sick ones, they appear to be in other places. And I saw how poverty and disease worked so well together. So I thought, that's the kind of doctor I'm going to be when I grow up. I want to be the one that goes to where the sick people are. And so I chose emergency medicine because it gives you, gave me the skills to be able to work in, a, in many different environments. But also it meant that I didn't need to have a patient practice. Yeah, yeah. I didn't need people who depended on me so I could travel and take months at a time and years at a time and not let anyone down. What, what are the, the skills you need as an, an emergency medicine doctor to be able to actually perform your job? You know, I was talking about this with a friend the other day. I would say... I don't know if Sydney maps on. It probably does map on quite accurately to Toronto. I think we probably spend 60% of our time reassuring people mm. about their own bodies, that their bodies are going to heal themselves. And maybe the you know other half of the time or 40% of the time, you're trying to determine what part of the body is standing in the way of that person being healthy completely healthy so that can mean you got a piece of metal in your eye in which case i have to know to, how to take it out without hurting you how to calm you down 
so you remain still when I come very, very, very close to one of the most important parts of your body. Yeah. Or if you've dislocated your shoulder, how to make sure you're comfortable enough to put it back in. And you do a bit of everything. You, you are a radiologist looking at x-rays or an electric a cardiographer looking at uh, how the heart rhythm is, is uh, uh, moving along. So I think probably the most unique and important skill is managing many different things at one time, mm-hmm. many different people and patients at one time in a chaotic and busy environment where you're inter- interrupted constantly, and yet making people feel for the five minutes that you're with them, that you don't need to be anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. It's, an, it's a very interesting thing because I can imagine for people listening, like uh, those who have spent time in an emergency room in Australia, in our public system at the moment, we do have a lot of problems when it comes to wait times and people get frustrated by, by why then maybe not getting attention. Mm. I mean, how hard is it? And, and, and how do you decide what people need the attention first or need it most? Well, the nurses typically do the process called triage, which is developed, I think, in the Napoleonic Wars. And they decided at that point, if you were injured on the field, whether you could be saved or not, and if you weren't salvageable, you were left to die. And so they had this system of of prioritizing people. And that happens at the beginning. And if you are injured or you have a heart attack or you're having a stroke, you cut the line. And that's why the wait gets longer. It's it's a... a, ethical kind of wait time yeah. so it's not necessarily just you you got here first and you're in line for Ticketmaster for the radiohead tickets <laughs> and someone cuts in front of you and you're like what the it's not like that and so people don't understand that logic and at the same time we live at a modern moment where people don't wait for anything mm. right you on your phone and you want to you want to know right when the now. next bus is coming you don't even bother to ask a stranger you want everything right now and people don't understand that or less and less it seems and I guess, like, you know, in that respect, I mean, managing those expectations, like, it, how have you learned to deal with that in your job? I think that's the part, that's the growth area for people who work in places like that. It's a spiritual uh, a crucible, really, because when you're hustling and you haven't had time to take a break and you've told a woman she's going to lose her pregnancy and then a person comes to the front and says to you, I've been waiting for an hour and a half. How much longer is it going to be? And you can see they've got you know, a minor injury or something, you don't, what you learn to say is not tell them how, how busy you be or get angry or busy you are or get angry at them. The right move is to say, I'm so sorry about the wait. We're working as fast as we can and we'll get to you as quickly as possible. But the truth is, a lot of the times we get frustrated. <laughs> totally. With well, that question. It's um, a and you want people to understand. Yeah. Wow, wow. It's very amazing. Look, we're going to get stuck more into this and also about your journeys to, to Africa because you've spent a lot of time, like what you spend nearly every few months yeah, in Africa. Probably, yeah, probably about a third of my time yeah. is spent in other places. Um, Working in yeah. obviously a very different environment to what you're used to in Toronto. But look, we'll get onto that soon. But first, we've got to get onto the music. The first song you've chosen for us today is All Right Now by. Angel Olsen. Why have you chosen this one? Yeah, this one, um, I like the quality of uh, the lulling lullaby quality. And this is what I use on my phone to wake me up in the morning rather than the jackhammer of an alarm. So it's constantly because of that kind of refrain of tendrils of this song remain in my head throughout the entire day. And I just find it uh, beautiful. and, and, And she's a great artist. It's all here, now it's all here, now it's always been here, 
listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today is doctor, author and teacher James Mascalic. Now, James, like you said just before, you spend around three quarters of your time of the year in, um, you know, this state-of-the-art hospital in Toronto and then another three quarters basically in Addis Ababa. So, I mean, can you tell us how different those two environments are? You know, the intention is exactly the same. The intention is exactly the same which is you want to meet the needs of the next stranger that walks to the door as much as possible because it makes your life better. It holds their, makes their life better, but it also makes you feel like you're doing the point of the place. Now, how it appears, though, is vastly different. And that almost irreconcilable difference is what I write about. If the point is the same, why does it look so different in places like Addis Ababa? If... We're told that in places like Sydney and Toronto, we're there to take care of, uh, you know, people, no matter their problem, no matter the day or time, why does it look so different in places like Sudan and Africa? Because there's an answer to that question. I just don't know it. So what, what it looks like is if someone comes in in Toronto and they've been shot, 
I had a gentleman who came into the ER a couple weeks ago who was shot. Where was he and, shot? Uh, in the chest. In the chest. Wow. Okay. And we did a you know salvageable salvage uh, emergency surgery. By the time I checked on him two days later, he'd received a hundred units of blood, and and that's not a reality in Addis. Mm. You mm. may get two. There's mm. not a lot of it. There's not a lot of extra. So what it and no one shows up to the ER there saying it kind of hurts when I do this. Mm. It's that I have no other option. These people are often subsistence living, meaning they're they're trying to make enough money that day to feed themselves that day. That's it. There's no there's no soft edges around any part of their life. It's very literal and it's very real. And when they come into the ER, it's because they've exhausted any other option. They don't. It's not that they don't want to take a day off. They actually can't take a day off to come into the ER. So they wait and wait and wait until the last minute. So you get overwhelmed by injured and ill men, women, and children. And extreme, extremely ill and injured by the sounds of things. Exactly. Yeah. And you, you know the. The poverty and illness twine so well together because what happens in that instance, let's say you have a son or a daughter and they get injured or they get sick with rheumatic fever. You spend whatever you can to try to help them. And if they die, then you're penniless and you've lost a loved one. And now you're even worse off than you were before in a lot of ways. So perhaps you had saved enough money to send your second child to school, but that reality is 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 not available to you anymore so now your daughter is starting to help you clean houses in the afternoons and that whole brings a whole family down it's 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 almost like trying to save your family member's life can ruin your family in some way for the for people who are on you know the poverty line um that is the reality every year a billion people rise above the poverty line globally and every year a billion people fall below it and the biggest reason for that fall is a health emergency. So this work that I do in Ethiopia is, sure, it's, 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 it's similar to the work I do in Toronto. But the, the objective is, is, is different. It's to, it's to give people the opportunity to free themselves from that mm. trap. And I guess practically, though, like the tools, like obviously you don't have the same tools that you have in a, in a hospital emergency room in, in Canada. What sort of tools do you have when you're in countries like this? Well, in Ethiopia, I, you know, I want to make it clear. The people who are doing the work there are the Ethiopian doctors who I'm training in emergency medicine. So they are there and being constant advocates and, and meeting those patients at the threshold of that ER and working with them completely. So my job there is to make sure they feel supported and, and, and trained and, and well-informed. So it's uh, attempt to divest, not responsibility, but to sh- give a lot of energy towards this, the solution solving itself, or the problem solving itself. When you, so the difference would be in that environment, however, you would lack a lot of the drugs and equipment that you and I would know from looking at ERs here mm. in, in Sydney. We can afford to be wasteful. If a pair of gloves drops on the floor, you just kick it to the side and you throw it in the garbage later, right? <clears throat> Similarly, if you waste a vial of medicine. Mm. But in Addis Ababa, if your son or daughter needs antibiotics, we say, you know, your son needs antibiotics. Go to the pharmacy and buy it. 
Yeah. So that's 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 how 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 literal the the costs are are metered out because there's no there's no extravagance in the health system. Mm. You know, when you work with MSF, it's a bit different. MSF gives medicines for free. We have a, a an essential this is, supply. This is doc- doctors, doctors without borders. Yeah, yeah, we have an essential a supply of essential medicines mm. that is robust, meaning I'm able to to give out medicines for free without worrying about necessarily running running out. Yeah. So we're well well stocked and well supplied. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. Is it something that you've noticed? Like, because how many years now have you been going back and forth between Africa and Canada? Fifteen. Have you noticed a, a positive change, or has things stayed, I guess, sort of similar? No, they're changing. You know, they really are. And I I am just g- grateful to be you know witness to it and a small part of it if I can. And I think what's changing, you know, I, I always considered it the greatest crime that I knew about is that we can take, it seems like in my time, in our time, we could have taken a country's, you know, wealth and resource, a country, a, a continent's wealth and resources, and then pretended somehow that poverty was their problem. And maybe we could help them with it. And what I mean by that is, you know, taking men, women, and children as slaves for many years, still continuing to take resources, diamonds, oil, everything from those countries because they're not able to compete with us in terms of our ability to extract it. And then we say, yeah, well, maybe we'll, 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 we'll help you out with poverty if we get the time. It just seemed like this, you know, uh, uh, not, not a shame. Mm. It just seemed illogical. And and I think what's happening and what you're seeing is a rise of both women and men in these in these areas, staying in their own countries, learning how to to thrive and learning how to to take the best of what they've learned and and transform the communities in which they live. You know, you, you could look at the AIDS crisis in places like Zambia, for instance. And, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, people didn't want to talk about it. It was difficult to even understand where I came from. And now people are getting tested and they're getting treated. And it's uh, starting to become um, something that is not standing in their way of progress, yeah, which yeah. I think is great. Well, something we might continue talking about a bit more, and I guess how that comes about. But we've got to get onto the tunes again. Song number two is, I'm assuming, something maybe something African? What, what is it? Yeah, it's uh, Ethiopian, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, this is from a label called Ethiopique, and it is uh, a French label that, um, or uh, uh, it's a series called Ethiopique. And uh, French... A label kind of discovered all these old uh, Ethiopian 45s um, wow. of artists from the 70s and 80s. And this woman, Emma Hoytsege, is uh, was a nun, actually. And she uh, no she uh, made the most beautiful solo piano music. Um, so uh, check her out.
This is Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Niggas. My guest here today is doctor, author, and teacher, James Miscalic. Now, before the break, we were talking a little bit about how these changes are happening in, in places like Addis Ababa and Ethiopia and Africa when it comes to people, I guess, getting themselves out of these dark, poverty-based situations. And you're talking about how people are taking power themselves and, and I guess, lifting themselves out of this with a little bit of help from the West, but maybe not as much as we should probably be giving. But what do you think the key factors are? Is it, is it stuff like education or what is it? Well, I think it's completely clear, it's completely clear that if you empower women or young girls, you change the conversation. You change the conversation. You encourage their involvement in discussions that are vital to the integrity of their community. Their education leads to them becoming self-sufficient, self-sustaining, and raises up the general, you know, so, not just socioeconomic status of the, the, their you know, cities or towns or their country, but improves life meaningfully for for everyone. So I think that's a big recognizing that and as a priority 
has been a big step forward. For instance, Zambia, as I mentioned, a lot of that change about people, you know, first getting tested, losing the stigma about that, and then getting treated for HIV, that was done a, from um, strong women in that country. Mm, mm. So recognizing that that their autonomy and authority as, as full partners in this conversation and in the success of the community has been a big a big part of that change. And are you, are you training yourself, um, many young women, to be doctors in, in these places? Yeah, it's in, in Ethiopia in particular, uh, I would say a majority of the wow. leaders are, are women. And it's it's we deliberately have a conversation about women in medicine, what's unique about their challenges, their ability to progress, how we can support them. Because I think that is going to be an important litmus for how the success of, of things like this. For sure. Well, look, we'll, we'll tune on to some more music again. The next song you've got um, is, is, is something that I think is a bit more Canadian, right? Yeah, I, I, I was tempted to make this a hopeful Canadian playlist, but I thought I would, I would, do the, I would uh, include a bunch of different artists. But I chose this because they're the most Canadian. Okay. The tragically hip, so uh, they're the most Canadian. So we always wonder why doesn't the world, why doesn't everyone love this band as much as they're loved in Canada? I don't know if you've got a similar. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure, sure you do. Definitely few, do, right? We so uh, this, unfortunately, Gore Downey, the lead singer, passed away last year of brain cancer. Um, and there's a really lovely documentary called Long Time Running about it, but. I, uh, the tragically hip, quintessential Canadian band, and wait, was this? <coughs> Was this was there a, was the Canadian figure skate? Did they the Canadian figure skating team at the Winter Olympics? Did they not do a do a dance to, to they, this something by this band? Because I remember probably. hearing about this 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 head yeah this brain injury or this brain yeah, tumor yeah. yeah yeah it was interesting you know he I learned in this documentary um, which is takes place if he actually after he has the he's told the brain cancer is in is in opera, mm-hmm. or uh, uh, fatal yeah. But if he has a brain tumor removed, the tumor, part of the tumor removed, he'll get a six more months or a year. So he gets the tumor removed and then he decides they want to go on tour. So it's about him learning how to speak again and, 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 and listen again. And so it's, it's, it's moving. And one thing just to, the, about the band is that right from the very beginning, he gave all of the members of the band equal credits for songwriting. The drummer, the guitarist, the bassist, which I thought was cool, right? So even though he was a front man, uh, he wanted very much this to be a shared project. So this is a song called uh, Fiddler's Green. Tear and blue eyes sailing 
must have sings a sorrowful refrain for a boy fiddler's green. His tiny knotted heart. Well, I guess it never worked too good. The timber tore apart, and the water guards the wood. You can hear her whisper, pray. Man at mass that always leaves. The same when it moves ahead. Yeah. Moves her boy through Fitland's dream. There's nowhere that he's really been, but he won't travel alone. No, not in Fiddler's Green. Balloons all filled with rain. Children's eyes turn sleepy. Falstaff sings a sorrowful refrain for a boy fiddler's green. You're listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio, and my name is Serge Negus, and my guest today is doctor, author, and teacher, James Miskalik. He's from Canada, spends a lot of time in Africa. And uh, look, one of the things I guess that people would think about with being an emergency room doctor is that it'd be very intense and, and, and dark and potentially even traumatic. I mean, what are some of the, the biggest challenges you find yourself in personally when it comes to doing what you do? What you don't want to have happen is to let some of the difficult emotions that are a part of the job stand in the way of you actualizing in the life outside of the ER. And by that, I mean having happy, healthy relationships with people in your life, your family, your friends, your romantic partners. I guess just even like the timing of of your job, like the hours you work and all those sorts of things beyond Mm -hmm. that, beyond just the the trauma, I guess. You know, I can certainly get into this 
vibe if I'm working a lot of like just work, give it all at my work and then recover, mm. you know, could just spend some time alone, try to put myself back together. And I spent some years doing that around, you know, when I first graduated doing MSF, working really in intense emotional situations where you have no choice but to get some, if you do it right, you have no choice but to take emotional residue from those encounters, right? Because what you don't want to do is shut yourself off. Because mm. what you don't want to do is when someone comes in whose mother is dying, you don't want to have a flat face yeah, and yeah. say, I'm sorry with your words, but not mean it with your eyes. Mm. You mm. want that person to feel, and you want to have that emotional exchange with them because that in that's where true healing happens. And if you're not able to do that, you miss out on half the equation. So if you make the mistake of thinking, what in the order to deal with this, you must shut down some part of you. You've missed out on some of the most integral aspects of the patient-doctor exchange. Yeah. People want you to be there with them. And you can only do your job if you're willing to commit to that. So I see, for, I would say I see the world as it is. I get a certain view. You know, I'll see women who come in who have been raped um, or beaten, children who've been burned and families in mourning and crisis. But so that's, that's my life, unfortunately. You know, mm. not to say there's not joys associated with it. Yeah, yeah, There is. There is a deep and abiding joy that comes with being able to meet them and offer them safe space. But I, if I'm able to mourn with them, when this can, when the time calls for it, uh, be with them and 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 be compassionate. I find that the residue is less. Mm. I'm I'm able to complete the exchange at the time and leave it and be the person I want to be to my friends and my family. But that's the world. Yeah, yeah. Pretending that that isn't part of our lives as as people who live in in the modern world is, in my opinion, fooling yourself. Yeah, for sure. Know, the, know, know thyself. Pretending that it doesn't exist is yeah. just yeah, not reality. Know your world. In, know in yourself. In respect, I guess, like, you know, for anyone out there who's potentially, you know, young, like thinking about studying medicine or doing these sorts of things, I mean, th do you think it takes a particular kind of personality to, to do the kind of work that you do as a doctor? Or do you think that it is something that you can train? Like, can you go, I think I want to do this, I'm going to go into it, and then I'm going to learn the skills that will be able to make me be able to deal with these situations? Or do you have to have, a, I guess... A perspective on life where you you are more understanding of those things to begin with you know i would say that it's the former because that was me i didn't know i didn't even know i didn't know i wanted to be a doctor until i went into university and i did i i knew that i had to do something and i you know i studied hard and created this opportunity but i didn't learn to love i had to learn to love medicine and what I discuss, what you, the, the growth area has been for me is to realize that in compassion and in kindness, you can grow infinitely. It's, it's this wide open field for you. Can I be more funny to my patients? Can I make them laugh when the condition calls for it? Can I, can I, when the woman comes in who's drinking herself to death, can I say, instead of saying, ma'am, you should stop alcohol, can I say, how are your relationships? Tell me about your relationships. So can I, I can grow in, and it's such a great gift to be able to go into a place that so clearly reflects back mm. to you that uh, it, uh, a beautiful part 
of yeah. the human experience. So um, I, I believe very much that you know you can you can learn it like I did, um, and you can evoke that really shared human space. Because let's face it, I guess. You, know, you didn't ask to be here. I didn't ask. I mean, not in the in this in this radio <laughs> room, but I mean, I didn't ask to be born, and yet I'm here, and I'm told that in this life I've got to, I've got to learn how to love, and then I've got to let it go. Are you kidding me? <laughs> those are those yeah, are the yeah. two things that I need to do. I've got to, and I've got to learn how to, you know, take all these these tethers on my heart and learn how to pry them off one by one and then i've got to say goodbye to everything i love are you kidding me and but that's it right and so to be honest about that and and to to really truly care for strangers is this great kind of uh thing to work towards totally i mean i I always think about, I guess, some sort of idea of radical selflessness in this idea that the people that I see as being the most happy in life are people who not focus on others completely, like they do obviously always focus on themselves, but I guess, yeah, that they find more gratification in, in, in loving the world around them than just completely being insular in themselves. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a fascinating thing. But uh, look, uh, moving on to the music again, what are you going to play for us next? I think uh, this is going. We're going to be doing some hip hop because that was my first love, really. Because I, I think, you know, I'm 44, so probably when Run DMC's record came out, uh, um, Raising Hell. Was that was okay. that record? Yeah, that would that'd be around like there, yeah. 80, 83, 84, somewhere around there. A wild amount of time ago. Yeah, well, I mean, a long time ago, right? <laughs> so when I first heard that, I was just like blown away because it was just so different than anything I'd heard to that point. And so I've been a fan since. And so you know, like everything, you can say it was different back in the day. But this is a contemporary song. Uh, I think she's an MC from the U.S. And I just like the boom bap kind of hip hop. It's kind of in, in that uh, refrain, refreshingly kind of new, but also with an eye to the past. And I really just love the female forward era of, of everything, <laughs> and, uh, awesome. especially in hip hop. So um, check her out. Turn 
up, turn up, turn up, we so lit, 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 lit Shawnee leaning like the syrup, get your fit, 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 fix Mr. Purpose with the furnace, give me that beat below my sternum Worship service, save the sermon, that's my shit, that's a hit Kicking dust up, cause I heard Ivy Soul be that spontaneous combustor Microphone trucker, only bars when they discuss her Come straight for your head, just might concuss ya so come correct or get your luck up, you numb nut Word around town is real rap is on the way So forget what you was looking for tomorrow Cause today we dodged the devil for 24 Hoping we see many more Hand and beats the first 48 Feeling great, uh They keep telling me I'm timeless Steady calling me your highness Cause it's mine, it's all mine It's all mine, yeah it's mine It's all mine, it's all mine Mama asked me why I'm stressing She said, baby, get your blessing Cause it's mine, it's all mine It's all mine, yeah, it's mine It's all mine See, I was in the shower I was feeling quite the opposite Sipping on a vibe like water for chocolate Approximate release date, booming Heart rate booming Trying to figure if my mom would let me have my own room Then I resumed the campaign but I ain't pressed for your caucus I don't need votes or elections I'm a descendant of rockers Y'all rappers talk us to death Nary a penny to show Barely a song to your name And yet you flex like a pro I ain't got press at the moment But yes, my presence, it glows Applying pressure to the wounds That I deliver my foes Y'all should consider dying slow Wouldn't wanna miss the come up Hurt winter be the season For preparing for the summer What a shame, what a bummer you thought she was next You got less drive than a Hummer On cinder blocks, I suspect My ten toes tap Ten poles, none can match but I So when you ask me for the time I can only reply That it's mine, it's all mine It's all mine, yeah it's mine It's all mine, it's all mine Yeah it's mine, it's all mine It's all mine, yeah it's mine It's all mine, it's all mine this is Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today is doctor, author, and teacher, James Miskalik. Now, personally, you know, something that I think a lot of people will find fascinating about you is that, you know, you're a teacher as well. But you also, um, I guess, spend a lot of time, like, working in areas like meditation as well. Can you explain that side of things for you as a doctor? Because it's quite, I mean, it's not traditional medicine, is it? No. Um, but I think it's becoming more so. And it's probably made the biggest difference in my life in being able to understand myself and through that will perhaps what it's like to be the person who's sitting in across the chair from me in the er so with that kind of self-insight can perhaps catalyze some wisdom and you know, I came, I just did a week-long meditation retreat, got on the plane and came to Australia. So it gave me a few more hours <laughs> in the plane to, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, uh, of equanimity. Um, but I, I think that we can, we got this, 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 the holy trinity of things for me. Life, love, and dying. Fathom these things. Fathom, this is your chance on earth to, to understand these things. And I guess I dying, I won't know until I get there. Love, I know. I look forward to knowing it more. Life I, is part of me. And I want to understand it at the deeper levels. What, the deepest levels, what makes me? And through the process of contemplation, meditation, mindfulness, I feel I get closer and closer. And what I think that allows me to do is free up 
some of those things that were standing in the way of me connecting more fully in in um, with the things that me matter most, knowing mm. the things that matter most, understanding what stands in the way of me connecting more deeply with them. And so that's, you know, been my meditation and mindfulness has been a big part of my life and allowed me that chance to to become a better doctor for sure. What do you think some of the, like, I guess, misconceptions and misunderstandings of, of meditation and mindfulness are that maybe make, uh, kind of block people off from going into trying it? Well, I think that people f- make the mistake of believing it's about quieting your mind. It's not. Sometimes your mind goes quiet and you notice it, but that's not the point. Your mind is running a million miles an hour at all times. That's the point of it. It wants to reach out and, and t- tangle with stuff in your in your environment to make sure you're safe. But you and I are safe. But no, that doesn't stop our mind. Our mind wants to test all these different areas to make sure that we're sure, we're sure, we're sure, which can be at the sense of our cost of our satisfaction. So the mind can quiet with time, um, may, may quiet with time, but that is not the point. The most important point is to have a, uh, 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 attitude of of kindness towards your mind and yourself, and the one of the reasons why people I think who even who even try it and don't stick with it is that the flavors of self reinforcing kind of reward where you do the practice and then you're like oh yeah things are actually starting to ease up a little bit in these places in my life that I thought were stuck is that it takes a bit of time. Mm. So it takes a minimum of 10 minutes a day, I would say, consecutive days in a row. And if you stick with it for, say, a month, if you commit to it for that, I think you'll get that sense of, of, of feedback mm. where people are going to say, like, you seem, you seem good. Somebody, what, are you, what are you doing differently? And you might be like, oh, really? And so I think those are the, those are the, the major barrier sometimes it stands in the way of more people just switching their phone off sitting down and just seeing how much aliveness in men what many different ways is blooming through them it's uh if you want to try it there's there are some pretty good apps out there these days um i use one called headspace so if you want to get on that it's uh yeah pretty good you can do it for 10 minutes a day and then you can set reminders and it can remind you to do it it's it's actually quite a fascinating thing even if you're cynical of it like i was originally it's it's you can yeah get into it so it's quite a nice thing to do being mindful but uh look moving on from that back onto the tunes second last song we're going to play what, what do you got for us well it was part of this thing in toronto i have a this crew called the consciousness explorers club and we do meditation and we throw parties so um i the two things go very well together and as much as it's nice to think about fathom dying and and know you know yourself there's also something great about just throwing a really bitching dance party. <laughs> and this tune Amen. always hits. This one always hits. It reminds me a lot of Burning Man and just uh, to dance for a bomb. So anyone out there who are looking to to create that uh, uh, in the next party, drop it. It's uh, Biddy Bye by Johnny Osborne. There is a passing in the tunnel, all of just a ball of But let me hear you say, whoa.
Put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by number one. Put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by number two. Put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by number three. Put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by number four. Pull up your hand if you love her, then your fashion and style. There is a passage in the corner, all of them just a ball of emergency. But let me hear you say, whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah. Put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by number one. Put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by number two. Put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by number three. Put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by, put it by number four.
You've been listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today has been emergency room doctor, author and teacher, James Muscalic. Now, James, we've barely got any time left, but we do have a little bit of time to talk about your book and the reason why you're here in Sydney, which is the Writers' Festival. So first, can you, can you tell us what you're doing at the Writers' Festival? Yeah, I'm here to support my book. My latest is called Life on the Ground Floor. It talks about that kind of sacred space that is the ER and what it looks like between Toronto and Ethiopia and why it matters. Um, you can check that out on, get it on Amazon. You can find it on Audible, um, and if you want to see anything else, uh, you can hit me on my website, jamesmuscolic.com, on my Twitter, jamesmuscolic. And um, yeah, I'm here just enjoying being in the company of so many smart people. This is a totally well, remarkable. You're, you're speaking at a thing at the Sydney Writers Festival on the weekend on Saturday about, about refugees, right? That's right. Yeah, there's a panel um, on Saturday morning. So come come down and check that out. You can find that on the uh, Writers Festival website. Well, James Miscalic, thank you so much for coming on Out of the Box. It's been a pleasure having you on here. Coming up next is Maya Billick with lunch. Big thanks to my producer Nicole DeParlo for helping me put this one together. And uh, I'll be back next week. See ya.
Cheer up, my 